This TSN 1040 podcast is powered by Metro Ford. The deal you've been waiting for is on now. Ford employee pricing. Details at MetroMotors.com. Time to go rink wide on TSN 1040. Here's J.D. Berg and Andrew Wadden. It's rink-wide. It's the show that always scores. Andrew Wadden alongside... Yeah, that's J.D. Berg. He's back on. He's back. Came back. Oh, my God. That's his walk-on music. He's coming out. You've got a terrible Jim Ross there. Yeah, but I do some really great impressions elsewhere, yeah. so it's yeah. it's a balancing act, really. I mean, like, you know, I could do you. I just, <laughs> Wait, I'm what? afraid. There's yeah, a better do, way to say that. Yeah, I could do an impression of you, oh, rather, gotcha. and then I could blow out the speakers, unfortunately. Gotcha. So we're going to pass on that. Uh, it's the show that always scores. It's rink wide. It's the last rink wide of the 2019 year, as uh, we're, we won't be with you uh, uh, next Saturday, guys. So we're going to do our end of the month roundtable. In this show today, we'll have the boys from The Athletic in Vancouver. Vancouver, Harmon Dial, Thomas Drantz in studio for the final hour at 2 o'clock. Uh, just J.D. and I riding solo here uh, for the first hour. The Canucks facing off against the Pittsburgh Penguins tonight. That'll be one of our main focuses, of course, though. Uh, J.D., you've been focused on your day job, and that's working with Elite Prospects. And you were out in Dawson Creek over the last couple of weeks for the, uh, what is the World Junior Hockey Challenge? The World Junior A Challenge. Okay. It's, a, it's a tournament for Canadian junior junior hockey leagues as well as the USHL basically any league that can feed talent to the NCAA is considered a uh, a junior league in this context right so very few CHL players I think one of the few there was Vasily Ponomaryov of the Shawinigan Cataracts but for the most part a lot of people from second tier uh, European junior leagues a lot of people from the USHL really high end draft uh, draft content and it was a really thrilling experience I, I definitely during that gold medal game I don't know how many people saw it. I was even admitting to, to Trevor throughout the week. Like, I, I know that the World Junior A Challenge isn't exactly appointment viewing, but, I mean, that gold medal game where Canada East, the underdog of the tournament, took Russia to double overtime. I mean, it was just a, a, a come to, like, a road to Damascus moment. Do you know what I mean? Where I've got, like, these kids in front of me. They're so enthusiastic about it. It's a barn with one level, a little bit like the Langley Events Center. It really was a special tournament and a special moment for me to kind to connect with the the joy that you get out of hockey, right? Because sometimes you get so removed from that when you're up in the ivory tower that is the press box, and you've got everybody there just doing their job. Yeah. And then you get a moment like that where you're you're so intertwined with the community for ten days, uh, and and really hockey just means that much more when you're in a small town like Dawson Creek with a population of about I think eleven thousand people. And I mean, full credit to them; they put on a really good show. And full credit to to the Canadians as well. I mean, Canada West bowed out before it even got to the playoffs. But Canada East, I mean, if you asked me to, to rank these teams going into the tournament, I don't think I would have even given them a shot to medal. I mean, barely even to make the playoffs. Yeah. And so pretty, pretty impressive tournament, pretty impressive showing by the Canadians and a tip of the cap to the Russians for sealing the victory in double overtime. Yeah, it's nothing like uh, going back to your roots when it comes to hockey. You know, it's going to the small towns, 11,000 people. Uh, they, they, I mean, that must have just yeah. been the talk of the town. Then, but the barn must have been full for those games. Yeah, yeah. Once it got into the playoffs, it was standing room only. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's what I was kind of getting at when I was saying, like, the, the come to Damascus 
Damascus Road to Damascus moment where it's just like, oh, so this is what hockey is about, right? You know, because yeah, we the, get it. Yeah, exactly. Like, you get we, you get a little bit dispassionate yeah, when, when you're NHL in the press box and, and yeah, nobody can cheer yeah. within a hundred feet of you. But then yeah. when you're in these arenas. It's kind of like when there's a band that tells you they prefer to play a small club than they do a large arena yeah. because it's a much more intimate setting. It's sure. a much more, uh, you, you're much more connected to the environment itself. And that was a really special moment, at least for myself speaking personally. So, I mean, obviously, you know, these are prospects that you're looking at right now. So who is, who's the player that stood out the most for you uh, while you were there? Well, I'd, I'd have to go with Brendan Brisson. And, and he's the son of legendary uh, kingmaker himself, Patrice Brisson, somebody who I'm sure Rick Dollywall has a, a phenomenal relationship with he's a he's a big time player agent but his kid um brendan brisson just a highly talented player he came out of prep school to uh play with the chicago steel this year a really fantastic organization i think they've got about five skills coaches on hands and i mean you talk to all the players there there was five of them from the chicago steel and each one of them was like well we've got the five skill coaches or however many but even our head coach might as well be a skills coach and it really shined through because brendan brisson i mean he's got a deadly one-timer he's he's got a great small ice game his his puck skills are elite he's somebody who's starting to creep into the first round i mean there, there's just so much to like about his game and i really think that he's going to work his way into some first round boards as we get down the stretch here another player who i can tell you right now a bit of a spoiler but elite prospects rinkside's next nhl draft board for the 2020 nhl entry draft in montreal is going to include vasily ponomaryov he's a russian skater Plays for the Shawinigan Cataracts. He's got some skating mechanics he needs to work out. Just a total riot to interview, though, and he was really great in the tournament. I mean, the Russians, one thing that they all talked about whenever you'd interview them was, I mean, they, they had a pretty spotty showing in the round-robin portion of the tournament, and they'd just, to a man, be like, hey, we just traveled 32 hours to get here. We're... I think 12 hours in difference in terms of time zones. Like, it's going to take a while to get going. And while the rest of the team was playing catch-up with their body clock and getting used to the, the systems, Vasily Ponomaryov really put the team on his back through the round-robin portion, and they barely qualified for the playoffs. So in some ways, I think he was the team MVP because without his performance, without him kind of taking the lead because of the fact that he's coming from eastern Canada, not Siberia or whatever, I mean, he was able to kind of keep them going through through the early portions of the tournament, even when the scoring dried up, he was just a phenomenal two-way player, and uh, you know somebody who was a lot of fun to talk to as the tournament got going. How about the target, though? You and I love the targets. We love the goaltenders, right? So, who was a goalie that you saw there that uh, made you take notice? Well, I, I usually like we have a specialized uh, goaltending scout at EP Rinkside because the nuances of the position are such that it's really something where I don't want to step out of my lane. Like, I, I know my limitations and I'm not going to try and sit here with a... But series. the eye test, I mean, you can... I mean, yeah, yeah I, I yeah. can do that, but what I'm trying to say is, like, I don't want to be the, the, the scout who's trying to fake it and be like, well, he's a butterfly goalie. Do you know what I mean? But, I mean, yeah. in terms of what I saw, Devon Levy from the Canada East team, he kept them in it. I think he had over 40 saves in the gold medal game. It's not often that somebody from the Eastern Canadian chunk of Junior A hockey is going to get taken in the draft, and if it does happen... It does happen. It's going to be in rounds four through seven. So, I mean, I, I don't think we're going to hear his name called early, if, if at all. But I think that he, with this performance at the very least, I mean, scouts talk about how somebody plays when the talent pool compresses, and he shone through. I think he really put himself into consideration for a sixth or seventh round pick, and he's committed to the University of Vermont for next season. 
that bodes well because a lot of junior A players take an extra year, two years sometimes even. Yeah. If you're actually going to the NCAA in your draft plus one season, pretty good sign. So I like his chances to get taken with a late pick. Well, while you were gone, of course, the uh, Canucks went from burn everything, fire everybody to, hey, actually, <laughs> we beat crap. the Golden Knights and maybe we're not so bad. So, yeah, Oh, man, was... that was a trip. Like, I was checking Twitter occasionally because, I, I mean, I'm in the rink, right? So it's not like I'm watching the games on yeah. TV or whatever. Yeah. And it was so funny to watch from afar. I mean, like... Like I was saying, we're a bit dispassionate when we cover the Canucks, yeah. but when you get to sit back and, and just watch your Twitter feed and everybody is going at each other's throats and, and it was just like, that might have been better than watching hockey. Just seeing Canucks <laughs> Twitter like implode upon itself. It was really a special well, treat. Canucks Twitter is usually very rational, rational though, you know, like, come on. Well, that was what was so weird about that experience was seeing Canucks Twitter implode and not a single one of the death threats was directed at me. <laughs> that's rare. Yeah. I mean, like, come on, that's an experience uh, I don't get every week. You didn't get to, uh, well, you didn't get to razz me, but the Maple Leafs were in town. I think you might have saw that. Uh, were they? Yeah. They, were they? They were. won. They won. But I, I have to admit, though, in that game, Freddie and oh, yeah, where is it? Where is it? Come on. I'm waiting for it. Anyway, Freddie. There we go. <laughs> there it is. Oh, my seat got shocked as well. Uh, Freddie Anderson stole a W here for the for the Bloods when they were in town. But then, like, two nights later, Jacob Markstrom, I don't know if you were able to see any of the uh, highlights or anything like that. Jacob Markstrom. Against, in a the, Hurricanes. Win against the Hurricanes. Oh, that was oh, special. Oh, my goodness. What a performance. But let, let's go, you know, to, you know, today, basically, and with the uh, Pittsburgh Penguins being in town tonight. But uh, Thursday night after the Canucks, you know, have snapped their three-game losing streak uh, after falling to the Sharks then the Golden Knights back to back then Montreal comes to town and if you thought Toronto fans were annoying I'm, I'm hearing that the Habs fans were like double that uh, I didn't go to that game I did the, per, the post game show uh, with Rick Dollywall which was probably the easiest shift I've ever had as a sports broadcaster because the venom was just like everywhere the phone line was lighting up the inbox was full everybody wanted the head of green and the head of Ben on a platter, and then two nights later, they do the uh, pull off the W against the, the Vegas Golden Knights, and, you know, things sort of start to settle down a little bit, but man, Jacob Markstrom, again in that game, full marks, what an out, he had three, like, just absolute, you know, blinding saves, and the third one in overtime, or in the third period, tied at four, blocker save, sprawling on Paul Stastny, I mean, as far as Jacob Markstrom is concerned, uh, I think it, like, I'm kind of stating the obvious here. They're gonna, they're gonna sign him. And I know we've had this debate already yep. on this show, but like, so now let's look at really the reality of it. Yeah, they're gonna sign him. And it looks like, you know, Thatcher Demko perhaps will not be the goalie of the, at least, you know, immediate future. And maybe it might be uh, Mikey DiPietro. And honestly. He's a trade chip now. Exactly. Like, and as, that, as and soon as they decide that yeah. Jacob Markstrom is getting an extension, then yeah. Thatcher and, Demko is a trade yeah, chip. Yeah, because Thatcher Demko's not gonna want to sit around like you'll get one more well, year it, of them not, not next year and then maybe maybe yeah, yeah you might i mean like the summer exactly. it, it could become a cory schneider situation yeah. right and and of course i would rate cory schneider higher than i would thatcher demko and i would rate roberto luongo at that time better than jacob markstrom so maybe it's a the light 
version of that uh, of that playing out. But I think it is a situation where if you're Thatcher Demko, you know how aging curves work. You have to know at some point, if you don't get your shot now, there's a chance that you never will. Yeah. Right? And those moments are fleeting and you have to capitalize on them. So if it ever went in that direction, certainly I would be the last one to take up a torch against uh, a Demko for taking that action for his career. Uh, taking a look around the NHL uh, schedule that today, there's three games, uh, well, three games this morning. Two are in the books now. Anaheim pulling off a W over the Islanders. Islanders are letting in a lot of goals lately. A 6-5 the win uh, for Anaheim in a shootout. Uh, Bu- Buffalo tops LA 3-2, so that's good for the Canucks at least as the, you know, a team like that. <laughs> the What's their record was, since they made those shirts? Uh, Somebody pointed it out to me, and it is... Uh, Ungood. Yeah, it's not good. Uh, <laughs> well, and in case you didn't notice, uh, you know, uh, December or November haven't been all that great for the uh, Vancouver Canucks. Uh, no, but the, uh, the check this out though, it was three nothing for the Jets going into the third period. It is now six nothing for the Jets over Minnesota. So that is good uh, for the Canucks. And in the inbox right now, um, this is G and Vic has pointed out that uh, well, he was the one that pointed my attention to the fact that the Jets have made it that bigger of a game. Uh, check out. Lucas Spees of the Pizza Man, plus two, six points, two goals. I don't believe that. I refuse to believe that. <laughs> this is an act of violence, of subversion, somebody trying to mess with us. And you just read that on the air, which, I mean, is, is perjury. Yeah, the uh, Lucas, the Pizza Man, Lucas Spiza, um, <laughs> for Winnipeg. Uh, just taking a look. Wait here. a second. Yeah. That was a lie. Yeah, that was a lie. He's only got one point right now. Uh, he's got an assist. He is a plus two. No, he's only a plus one on the game, so that is a lie. Uh, put me on errors and omissions for that one. Regardless, the point is this. Winnipeg is pumping Minnesota right now, and that's good for the Canucks as uh, they try to work their way up the Western Conference standings. Um, when you look at the opponent tonight with Pittsburgh being in town, um, this is a team that is completely beat up, yet just continues to roll right now and they've you know they're two for two on this a western road trip topping calgary now edmonton and now they got the canucks tonight uh we are going to see matt murray in that tonight and um you know murray of course b was the starter for the the penguins and he's kind of lost that role Not now so much anymore and uh, brock besser boy does his eyes light up when he sees matt murray in that uh do you think he'll get lucky again tonight <laughs> well i mean uh if if there's ever a chance to bookmark a couple of uh, of goals in the season, I think it's whenever Brock Besser is facing off against Matt Murray, and so I'm liking his odds. I'm just going to say that much at least. So I mean, it's interesting because I've I've always kind of been agnostic on Matt Murray. It's like I, I acknowledge his existence and and spurts of dominance, but I've never really bought into his game. And I always thought that Tristan Jari was an elite goaltending prospect. This is absolutely not a back pad. I did not see any of this coming this season. I'm just saying that I'm not necessarily like overwhelmed with surprise either that this is how things have broken down. Yeah, the uh, it's funny too because there was talk around the league for teams that like needed backup goaltending and you know, like the Leafs were one one of those teams don't play the holy Mackinac. Uh, but and they were considering that Jardy. Yeah, look, you're telling them to. Oh, <laughs> Sorry, continue, As I Andrew. Said, there was thoughts that Jari that the Leafs. 
Okay, that's the last one. Might actually uh, be, you know, try to go for Ajari, but the whole not, league not, had not, a shot not, at not him. Not a chance. He no. cleared waivers yeah. at the beginning of the year. Yeah, that's true. And, and this is why when people get so mad, I remember I used to have to write all these articles for the Canucks during the Jason Magna in the top six year. And they'd get so mad because it was like, well, I mean, he passed through waivers. He can't be good. You know who else passed through waivers? Mike Hoffman. Uh, G and uh, Vic has just said, "Hey guys, that's uh, that's the stats for the season." I was wondering what he said. Oh, I was wondering okay. too, like, yeah, that's, that's the thing, dude. That, uh, don't read something right away without actually looking it up. But yeah, plus two at six points with two goals for the season for the Pizza Man, uh, Lucas Pizza. I was wondering how he was a plus two with six points. I don't know how that would work. I'll be really, especially since the other team hadn't scored a goal. I'll be really honest with you, like. Lucas Pisa is somebody I desperately wanted to succeed. Yeah. Because he was like the nicest person well, in that Canucks room and, and the most generous person with his time. And he actually seemed to understand what was happening in game. He just couldn't fis- like physically leverage that towards production or tilting the ice, right? He had a really good eye for the game anyway. Yeah. Wish the best for him, even after all he went through here. Well, they got a bit of a new pizza man in town. <laughs> Who <laughs> but, would that be? But he's locked up for six years at $6 million. Uh, and his stick is about as as long as your entire body. Uh, that's <laughs> Tyler Myers. He has been coughing up the puck all over the place uh, for the Canucks. This is concerning, of who, course. Who misses Alexander Edler-Moore? Tyler Myers or the Vancouver Canucks, another acceptable answer is just yes. Yes. Yeah, I mean, like, his his splits away from Tyler Myers are, uh, or sorry, Tyler Myers' splits, rather, Alexander. away from Alexander yeah, Edler yeah. are quite grim. Yeah. Uh, it's it's completely different player. Yeah, and, you know, we, we the thing is, we knew this when they signed him, right? Like, people said, listen, when he's got a lesser role down, you know, th- whether it's the second pairing or third pairing, that's the Tyler Myers you want. When he has to play a bigger role, then that's when things get shaky for him, and we, we knew this, like, before they even signed him, because of course, everybody had him circled as someone the Canucks are going to go after. Now we're starting to see it. Well, we are, but I also think that in the interest of of journalistic integrity and and fairness, we have to point out the fact that Tyler Myers has also been obscenely unlucky. I mean, one of the the ways to gauge this, I mean, a lot of people look at his point totals, and he's only got the, I think it's like eight points right now or ten points, no goals. You look at his individual points percentage, which means he's got a goal. He does. Yeah, oh, okay, power play. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking at even strength. Um. You, you look at individual points percentage, and what you're trying to see there is how many of your team's points, when you're on the ice for it, how many of them are you contributing on? Usually a defenseman is going to hover between 40 and 50% at most, I would say. He's at 20%. And if you want to take it even a step further, you look at his PDO, which is combined on ice and shooting percentage, a good way to gauge luck. Uh, he's got among the worst on the team right now, and, and that's at a 981. You want to see it regress towards 1,000. I, I really think that as much as Tyler Myers has looked like Tyler Myers, and as much as this was predictable, I think that it's not as bad as it looks at first glance, and some of the data certainly backs that up, and I know when we get Tom in here later, he's going to be, like, raging to defend Tyler Myers, so... Okay. Yeah, just just a little fair warning on that front. He he's ride or die for Myers. So so check this out too. When I was doing the um, post game show for the Canucks the other day, there was a guy in the inbox. He screamed it 
like in a text, like three different times mm-hmm. asking, why is Wadden doing the post-game show? He's a Leafs lover, and <laughs> in, and he's completely analytic-based, which is so funny. So now, like the Leafs thing, yeah, I'll take it, whatever. But I can talk about other hockey teams with being impartial, right? But the now I'm getting painted with this analytics brush. And as anyone that would know that listens to Rinkwide actually listens to Rinkwide, uh, they would know that like we are kind of you know you the the yin and the yang. Like I've got the sort of old school approach to things. You're the analytics guy. When you pull out something like that, you know you make well, me almost feel better because I just watch the game and see him serving up pizzas all over the place and go, what the hell is going on here, right? But then you can kind of bring us back down. But it's funny that I'm getting painted with that brush now. I mean, guilt by association, I man. You're you're totally hooped. You 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 got it. Bear that uh, that that hit on your reputation. Speaking of errors and omissions, right yeah, sure, now, yeah, yeah, Govind and Surrey, yeah, good yeah. call, buddy. Tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> it's actually a short-handed goal for Myers. Yeah. That's Govind from Surrey. Thanks for signing your text. Yeah, pre- appreciate that, and of course, G and Vic as well uh, for the for updating those stats for us uh, too. Uh, on the other side, um, I, I kind of want to take some phone calls. I feel like maybe we should talk to Canucks Nation. I want to hear what you guys want to talk about. Like you want to talk no about, large casters. You're not allowed on the you air. You want to what? Not, what's Rob the hockey guy? Uh, <laughs> no effect. <laughs> no I'm just bugging Rob. Uh, so we, yeah, if you guys want to talk about Markstrom, you want to talk about Myers, you want to talk about the Canucks and how they. I think we're pro, we're approaching the halfway point here, guys. By the time we have our next episode of Rink Wide, the Canucks will be at the 41 game mark. So I want to hear anything that you guys want to talk about. And shoot, it doesn't have to be about the Canucks. Uh, you can talk about anything that's happening in the NHL this year. Hey, if you want to talk about our poll question, which is getting a very low uh, voter turnout, and this is one thing that I don't like about when we do these sort of polls. If it doesn't relate at all to, like, the Canucks, or you know, just in general, the market, it seems like we get a lower turnout, but I, I'm, I'm interested to know, who is the NHL MVP at the midpoint of the season? I gave four uh, options, because that's all we can give. Nathan McKinnon, Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, or Jack uh, Eichel. Eichel had an assist today in the uh, Sabres win over the Kings. If before we go to break, who would you pick out of those four? You know what? I think it's it's a dead heat between Jack Eichel and Connor McDavid. Okay. Sounds good. I, I actually picked Nathan uh, McKinnon myself. So he's leading the vote right now. 45.9% of people uh, with Connor McDavid in second taking on 28%. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's going on between Nate McKinnon and Connor McDavid right now. So if you guys want to. I don't think to- people know how. Good, Jack Eichel has that, been this Oh, year. he's been fantastic this year. Yeah, playing in Buffalo, you're kind of sheltered over there, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so head over to t- Twitter, at TSN1040Caster, vote over there. Uh, Daniel, I see you on the phone line right now. We'll get you in on the other side. If you guys want to get in on the conversation here, 604-280-1040, 844-876-1040 is toll-free. Or you can hit us up in the inbox, uh, text 104040, or email live at TSN1040.ca. On the other side, it's all about you. Whatever you guys want to talk about in the NHL, we'll take Take your call or your tweets or your texts next. It's Rinkwide. It's a show that always scores on TSN 1040. Cold symptoms coming at you? <laughs> Take DayQuil Complete and put your cold symptoms out cold. <sighs> DayQuil Complete. The coughing, aching, congested chest, stuffy head, power through your day medicine. To ensure this product is right for you, always read and follow the label. Keep out of reach of children. The Sport Market presents The Rolfson Report. The comedy of sports with Torben Rolfson. 
Is Russia banned from the World Cup of Hockey? It must be hard to time your steroid cycles when Gary Bettman is constantly canceling or postponing things. And did you see that female Raptors fan throwing a ball back onto the court from the stands in Detroit? Hit a Pistons bench snapper in the head? I call her Alice at the Palace. I like the Pistons fan with a We the South sign. Detroit, you know, that town just north of Windsor. On social media, I read Hope Solo is pregnant with twins. My first reaction, can we please get the Star Wars spoilers off Twitter? And each of the 30 MLB teams will have its own Star Wars night next season. They're just trying to figure out where on the Stormtroopers outfits the Nike swoosh will go. And the Astros will have a droid in the dugout processing analytics in real time. They can bang on it when a changeup's coming. You've been listening to the Rolfson Report, the comedy of sports, with Torben Rolfson, a special feature of the sport market. Follow Torben on Twitter at Van Guy. A couple things, Andrew. First of all, you and Jason sound identical when you answer the phone. It's very confusing. <laughs> Sorry about that. That's <laughs> uh, all right. It's He's better looking fault. than um, me, though. <laughs> I, no comment. Um, so, a couple things. The, the lottery, or the, the trade pick for Miller, if the Canucks make the playoffs this year, that's done, right? They get They get our pick and it's over. Well, not necessarily. Yeah, they not- have it within their rights to defer, even if they make yeah. the playoffs this year. I mean, I, I would assume that they would hand over the pick if they make the playoffs this year, but it's hard to say. It's up to the Canucks. Yeah, yes. it's protected this year, and then it's wide open next year. Okay, so if the Canucks miss this year, they can give the pick, and then the Miller trade is said and done. That is correct, yeah. Okay, so second part of the question if they read this is I, I came up I thought about this when you were saying earlier Andrew about re-signing Markey so if they re-sign Markey then they've got three goalies and they have to pick two to protect correct yes so then what because well, if they if they miss the playoffs this year this is the this is the theoretical position I thought of if they miss the playoffs this year you can't go into year two of a protected pick with Demko and Di Pietro because your your odds are just low of making the playoffs as it is. So in order to boost that up, you got to sign Markey, but then which one do you not protect? Well, honestly, Daniel, I think they're going to end up trading uh, a Demko because Demko's contract is up after next season. So it wouldn't be surprised if they move if they if they make the the signing that we think they're going to do because our very own Rick Dollywall has said that the Canucks. And Jacob Markstrom's camp are uh, beginning talks for the extension. That Demko would be the piece that they end up moving after that because you know his contract is up next year. Now he can't. And then you, sorry, go ahead. And then you you roll the dice on Di Pietro and hope that he's as good in the big boys league as he was playing with children. Yeah, or you or you basically yeah. I mean at this point, um, you know, with with Markstrom, you could do something where perhaps you don't protect him, like you don't give him, but. Uh, his camp is going to want to, uh, you know, have that no move in there, right? So, yeah, he's thirty. He's going to want protection yeah. for sure. Yeah, uh, well, it's going to be tough to see what they do moving forward. I mean, when they do have the piece like uh, Demko, um, you know, that's that's a good asset to have. And um, you know, if they are going to have to make a trade, whether it's this summer, maybe it's at the trade deadline next year, um, that's going to be a good piece in terms of an asset to move uh, for Demko. What are your thoughts on that, JD? Well, uh, it's really a difficult situation because the goalie market is so depressed. 
mm-hmm. and it's not like the Canucks are operating from a position of strength, and I think that the rest of the league knows that. Yeah. Further to that end, I don't really know what the obvious answer is. I don't know. I mean, look, I, I would emphasize with the decision to, or empathize rather, with the decision to re-sign Jacob Markstrom because of everything that's going to be riding on next year, particularly if they make the playoffs this season, because as, as you pointed out, well, I mean, you have to make it next year, or else yeah. you're going to have a ton of egg on your face, right? So, I, I look, the, the thing is, do we know that Jacob Markstrom is an above-average starter? And how much are we willing to, to, to let the Canucks pay for that? And, and that's a difficult question to answer. And the, the thing that I, I think Ken Holland went on record as saying this, with goalies, the difference between the 20th best goaltender in the NHL and the 10th best goaltender in the NHL is maybe a handful of goals over the course of a season, right? The difference in cost could be one million, could be one and a half million. Are you willing to pay that? Do you think that it is a a complete value-added situation? And I don't know. I just don't know how to answer that question. I think that there's a lot of of balls in the air here, and it's it's one of those scenarios where it's going to be interesting to see how the Canucks handle it, because even as an analyst and somebody who writes about the team regularly, I'm not sure what the best answer is. Well, yeah, and, and you know, it's unfortunate, too, that Dr. Demko is, you know, suffering from another concussion right now, because this kind of could give us a chance to really see how... you know, the sample size, you know, and um, it's going to be interesting to see how they handle this moving forward. But I, I anticipate that, you know, Markstrom will get re-signed and that Demko eventually uh, will be the one that gets shipped out. Let's bring in the Mike in Langley. He's got thoughts on all kinds of stuff. So I'm really interested to see what's on his mind today. Mike, thanks for joining. Hey, great show, guys. Thank you. Okay, I'm going to ask you guys a question, but first, I really appreciate you taking another call from the sewer out here, you know, us, us, us sports fans, as as the former NHL uh, PR guy referred to us there on, on the podcast. So nice that he picked that up from Gary, that disrespect. But anyways, here we go. So I'm going to ask you guys a question. Analytics down the middle, scoring chances. You both agree scoring chances are kind of like soft, right? Regular uh, fans can understand them, and hardcore analytic guys can put some weight in it. Agreed? All right, so let's look at scoring chances against. When you adjust for score score effects five on five, this year the Canucks defensively again are at the bottom, 29th in the league currently. This is a pattern for three years. Here's the question. Is that more on the coach? Like, Do you think a coach can actually, in the old school idea, improve a defensive system like and improve that? Or is it on the quality of players? Because it's one or the other. If you're supporting Green... Say he's doing the best with what he has, then you gotta fire Benning. If you support Benning, then you gotta fire Green because at 29th, guys, defensive scoring chance against, they aren't, they don't gotta hope. And how is the defense getting better defensively in the next two or three years? It ain't. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Oh, Mike, he always brings the heat. And the thing is, <laughs> Did you is that, hear that grunge yeah, at the yeah. end? <laughs> the one thing about Mike is that, he, you know, he's always got the passionate things, but he also comes with the data to back it up. So I'll, I'll leave that one to you. Well, uh, I mean, scoring chance data, I, I, I'm not overly fond of relying upon that stuff. Is it like the stuff. plus minus of the analytics community? Uh, not necessarily. I just... Like, every time you decrease the sample, your data becomes less and less and less valuable, right? And that's kind of what happens when you're looking at, uh, you know, when you're looking at scoring chances. I mean, what defines a scoring chance? And and that's different from team to team. I've talked to a lot of these analytics departments, and of course the coaches are all about very granular, very specific stuff like scoring chances.
offices. But I, I, the people I talk to in the actual front office working these numbers are going to tell you that they're they're a little bit more skeptical of the value. I mean, it's it's really kind of a difficult line to skirt. I think if you want to get into something that is a little bit more easily consumable for the fan, I think that's something that's going to catch on with with the average hockey fan is is expected goals, and it doesn't make you decrease the sample of what's happening. It helps you to value everything properly. And what did we hear for years in the beginning of the analytics movement was, well, what about shot quality? Surely you guys have to account for shot quality. And of course we did. And eventually we got a metric like expected goals that is perfectly suited to doing just that. And what it does is it weighs the importance or the likelihood of a shot going in from where it's taken on the ice, the events that led up to it, etc. I think that's where you want to go if you're looking at that sort of data and if you look at the Canucks expected goals data I mean some of those concerns do start to come to the fro- the the four but we're talking about a team that is basically break even right so I don't think that I'm as concerned with the the scoring chance data necessarily because I think when you look at the broader context of every shot they've surrendered every shot they've taken they're about break even and I I do have to say this wasn't the the main like the crux of his argument but I'm having a hard time with this this notion that Green's job should be on the line. Yeah. This isn't a good hockey team. This is not a good hockey team. The bottom six that returned this year was outscored 2-1 to one last year. Yeah. They entered the year with 25% playoff odds, according to every objective analysis model out there. And now they're looking at the holiday break as a team with 40% odds. You, I know mean, they're, you know they're two points ahead of last year, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, like, I, I do know that, but I mean... I, no, but that, that's what I'm saying. It's like, it's... Still not great. Like they're it's, still they're basically just the same team they were last year, give or take a couple points. I, I just I, I don't know what people want of Travis Green. And I, I think that I don't want to steal this this remark from, from Thomas Strands because we were talking about this the other day. So I'm gonna give give him full marks, but I agree with him in the sense that Travis Green having the willingness to play Elias Pedersen as a center and his willingness to play Quinn Hughes twenty minutes a night as a rookie who's on like what five foot ten? Yeah. Those are franchise altering decisions that twenty five plus other coaches would not make. Yeah. On uh, twenty other teams, Elias Pettersson is a winger right now and Hughes is on the third pair. And well he does start on the wing sometimes with JT Miller, but that's just because of the fact that JT Miller's better in the face of dot right now. But you know they switch back once the puck is dropped. All right, one more uh, Grant and Victoria. I'm assuming this is uh, G and Victoria. Uh, yeah, you got yeah. How you doing, buddy? Good. How are you guys? Yeah, very well. What's on your mind? Nice there? gotcha there. Earlier. Yeah, yeah, nice. Uh, plus, yeah, yeah, plus two with six points. Presence here, and I'm listening to you guys going. That's not what I. Said. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, guys, just have a quick question. Yeah. In regards to the draft, if the Canucks miss the playoffs this year, they're one of sixteen teams that don't. I'm uh, sorry, they're one of fifteen teams that don't. Yeah, fifteen teams. Yeah, sixteen make the playoffs. Fifteen teams yeah. that don't. Okay. Not all fifteen go into the the lottery, right? Yes, they yes, do, they actually. do. But like the percentage points are so low for the guys way right, down right. there. Okay, yeah. so let, let's assume that the Canucks finish fifteenth. They could then say, and maybe they think that next year, the next year's draft is a lot better. They can make that decision, or do, or do they? Can they? Do they have to go through the process? Like at the end of the year, do they have to say, or before the draft, they have to say we're going to give it to you, Tampa? Uh, Tampa? No, no, they or, can wait until the the very second that pick is is up on the board. 
Uh, and, and, okay. and I remember last year from the Ottawa Senators scenario, or not last year, but the one before, rather, where the Senators were ready to take Brady Kachuk with the fourth overall pick. And the question going even into the draft as it started was, are they going to keep or are they going to pick their players? So they have a, a whole bunch of time with which to make that decision after the lottery. That's right, yeah, because then they ended up losing uh, Bowen, basically Bowen Byram, because the, yeah. their, which is funny because, uh, Grant, for instance, like last year, Montreal had the lowest percentage to win it and at 1%. Right. So they were the, you know, the bubble team, uh, so to speak, right? So 18.5% right. is what uh, Colorado had to win last year, um, right. even though they ended up, it, it was Ottawa's pick, right? So they ended up getting the right. fourth pick with that one. So uh, Jersey won it, of course, last year, uh, and they had 11.5% right. percentage to win it. So, so, so yeah. hypothetically, though, even though they do miss the playoffs, if, if Benning figures that not this coming draft, but the next coming draft is a better draft, and he winds up being 14th or 15th pick, he could give it up anyway. Yeah, that's correct. Yep. Yep. Okay. Uh, yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks for great. Yep. Uh, G and Victoria. Giving us uh, the stats today as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> TSN 1040 uh, stats aficionado. Yeah. I appreciate all the uh, everybody on the in or uh, on the phone board there, and of course people are chiming in on the inbox. Sam and wants to know why we're not talking about the Levo hit and how bad the officiating is against the Canucks. I, I mean, I don't know if it's necessarily that the Canucks are, are officiated bad as a whole, but that call in or no, missed call is just it was just absolutely terrible. I don't know if anyone. Uh, heard Jeff Patterson's hit earlier on Sports Saturday. He railed on against it. The Department of Player Safety uh, has to step in there. I mean, that was just... And the fact that Holden ends up scoring right after. Oh, I know. More salt in the wound. But so, Sam, as far as uh, uh, why we're not talking about it, yeah, we're definitely going to be uh, talking about the hit and why, you know, we feel that uh, it was a, a blown call and, and it's, you know, big loss for Josh Levo because, I mean, this could... This is going to be big for a guy that's in a contract year, right? Might not... He might not ever play again for the Canucks. Who knows? But oh, that as far as far as, you know, brutal. the officiating as a whole, I think it's a stretch to say it's, you know, overall bad against Here's what I'm going to say uh, on this matter. I know we're up against it, but look, big history nerd over here. Kind of my thing. Occam's razor. What's the most likely possibility? I think it's that the NHL's officiating. I think it's that the NHL's Department of Player Safety, they're just incompetent. I don't think there's any baked-in bias against the Canucks. I just think that they're yeah. really bad at their job. And the guy's got a broken kneecap. How do you? I mean, you know, how do you argue that, right? I mean, it's just it's ridiculous. And yeah, and of course, you know, Holden ends up scoring after that. And you know, yeah, the Canucks end up pulling off the win, but they lose a pivotal piece in Josh Leva. All right, the manifesto is coming up on the other side. What do you got for us today? We're going to be talking about a certain Canucks defenseman, somebody who they're really missing right now, and I think that's a pretty good giveaway. Yeah, I think we know who you're talking about. Uh, this is Rinkwide. It's a show that always scores. JD's Manifesto coming up next here on TSN 1040. VancouverJobShop.ca presents the world's worst boss, the one who posts jobs on huge national job sites. Looking for anyone with a pulse? We'll just call him Dave. <laughs> Officer, thank goodness you're here. You said it was an emergency. And it is. We have some positions in senior management that need to be filled pronto. <sighs> Not this again. I'm telling you, our benefits are criminal. And you can't stare the force forever. All right, boys, roll out. Wait! Where's the fire? I'm so glad you're here. Don't be a Dave. Find your perfect local employee at VancouverJobShop.ca. Local jobs that work.
VancouverJobShop.ca presents the world's worst boss. The one who posts jobs on huge national job sites. Looking for anyone with a pulse. We'll just call him Dave. Dave, did you forward me this email from Svetlana? Yes. You want me to interview her for a job? Well, it says she's looking to get down to business. It also says she likes gentle bear cub man who knows what he likes. I'm gentle. Dave, this is a Ukrainian dating site. Corporate said we should hire more diverse candidates. Don't be a Dave. Find your perfect local employee at VancouverJobShop.ca. Local jobs that work. Is starting to look a lot like the Tyler Myers of Winnipeg. The giveaways, the goals against. He's starting to look like himself again. What changed? Alexander Edler's absence. Now, it might not seem as daunting at first glance. If you were to just look at their points percentage, if you were to look at where they are in the standings, you would find out that the Canucks have the exact same points percentage, exact same points percentage standing in the NHL in the splits with and without Alexander Edler. Where it gets a lot more dire, though, is the underlying data. And that matters because when you're trying to project whether a team is going to win going forward or not, you don't look at prior wins. You look at how the team is controlling play at 5-on-5. You look at how the team is controlling shot quality at 5-on-5. It gets a lot more difficult for the Canucks without Alexander Edler. Now, here are the splits. When we look at this team over the course of the season... Barely a 50% Corsi 4 team. When we look at this team without Alexander Edler, drops a full two points. And we're talking about a sample of games that includes basically half of a month played. Now, a lot of people get frustrated with Edler, and I get it. If his name was, I don't know, Joel Murray, and, and he had that fire and that intensity and that passion that was visible for all to see on a shift-to-shift basis, I think that people would be more sympathetic to the blunders and the giveaways. But what those blunders and giveaways, how often they may be, hide a player who helps this team control the field of play on a shift-to-shift, night-to-night basis. He plays against the opposition's best and manages to keep them at a level way below what they're used to. In fact, you want to look at one of the NHL's premier shutdown defensive pairs, Alexander Edler and Tyler Myers combining for 58% of the shot attempts at 5-on-5 when they are on the ice. Who do you think is driving that success? There will be a time when Alexander Edler looks like a 34-year-old defenseman, a 35-year-old defenseman. Who knows, maybe he gets another contract and he looks like himself up until he's 36, 37. Age is undefeated. Time is undefeated. And it's going to come for Alexander Edler eventually. But at that moment, I think we have to look back on the player who gave his all for this team, who repeatedly took less on the open market to stay a Vancouver Canuck, who did great charitable ventures on the side. For example, the Eagle's Nest, which helps bring hockey to people who might not otherwise have the opportunity to participate. These are all great moments. And I think it really speaks to Alexander Edler's caliber as a person when you take away the fact that he doesn't like doing media. He doesn't want you to talk about Eagle's Nest. He doesn't want you to talk about Alexander Edler. He takes his cue from the Sedins, who remember in the 2011 Stanley Cup run, it was revealed against their will, had donated a million dollars each to the Children's Hospital. Now, the Canucks are a young franchise. They're a budding institution. But I think that Alexander Edler, perhaps not to the degree of the Sedins, but in a similar fashion, is a big part of that legacy. And that's why Alexander Edler is the focus of today's manifesto, because this team goes as he does, and it has for the last 10-plus years. 
and they need him back as soon as possible if they have any hope of getting back into this playoff race in earnest. Yeah, here, here to that. If I if I threw out these names to you, you know, tell me if they're celebrated in this market. Ed Jovanovsky. Yes. Sammy Salo. Yes. Kevin Bieksa. Yes. Doug Lidster. Yes. Dennis Kearns. Sure. Jerky Lumi. I mean, uh, of course. A big, big part of Canucks Twitter, Matthias of course, Olin. is Yerke. These guys are all below Alex Edler, who is the le- team leader all time in points, goals, assists, and he's two back of Salo in power play goals. Mm-hmm. And he'll break that record probably this year, too. Like Nick and New West, who was our winner today uh, with for his uh, convince me otherwise argument, made a great point. No, no, no. Not Ring of Honor. Jersey retirement. And I agree with him. I, I do agree I, with I think him. there is a case for that. I mean, who is the best Canucks defenseman in history? I think it's probably... No, it's... it's, it's, it's a, actually, it's, it's 100%. We just proved it right here. It's 100%. It's Alexander Edler. Yeah. And I, I think it's about time he got his due. And look, I'm not trying to disrespect some of the people already in the rafters, but... I mean, the bar is relatively low compared to other NHL franchises. And I think that if Alexander Edler can't clear it, then we've got ourselves a problem, at least in terms of the consistency with which those honors are doled out. Agree or disagree with us, guys? You can always chime in at TSN 1040, or excuse me, live at TSN 1040.ca. That's the email address, or you can text us, 104040. We do have Thomas Drance and Harmon Dial coming up next. It is the rink-wide roundtable right here on TSN 1040, so keep it locked. The Vancouver Giants return to the ice at the Langley Event Center December 28th when they battle the 2020 Memorial Cup hosts, the Kelowna Rockets. Puck drop goes at 7. Secure your seats now. Visit VancouverGiants.com slash tickets. And I feel like yep. there's, you know, any which it. way, any which way that this can go, right? This yeah, could go off totally. the rails in a hurry. Animosity, and, uh, I love it. I love it. <laughs> and, we'll, and we'll see where we get. <laughs> Hopefully, uh, one of Are we going to talk about Corbin? Uh, no, but we're definitely going to talk about Valerie Nachushkin's recent hot seat. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hopefully, uh, one of you guys doesn't get. Jo- <laughs> hopefully, one of you guys doesn't get Josh Levoed in this uh, segment here. Uh, the broken kneecap. Yikes. Why don't we start there, guys? Because uh, all uh, harm you weren't at the game on Thursday, were you? I, I don't think I saw you there. I saw Thomas there, though. Um, your thoughts, Thomas, on the missed call and now potentially what? I mean, let's be honest. That could have been Josh Levo's last game as a Vancouver Canuck. Yeah, no, and hopefully that's not the case. Yeah. Obviously, Levo's been a crucial part of, you know, Vancouver's sort of, and I know they're only two points ahead of their pace from last season, but in terms of being, you know, a team that everyone kind of expects to be well into the draft lottery to, you know, a team that at the sort of low end, I think, everyone would sort of accept as a mid-table kind of team this year. Mediocre. Fringe, fringe playoff team. Might say. Mediocre playoff caliber, you know, mm-hmm. wh- however you want to mince words. You, the play itself, the hit, you know, first of all, Levo never touched the puck, right? So it's an obvious interference call, uh, whether or not you want to call boarding. And, you know, that was a missed call, and, and the fact that the player who probably should have been, certainly should have been in the box as, as a result scored immediately thereafter, you know, I think that did change the complexion of the game and certainly raised the stakes and the emotion level uh, from both teams, I think, the rest of the way. And, you know, you just never want to see a guy, uh, especially a guy like Levo, who's had this, you know, circuitous path to finding and carving out this top six niche that he's, you know, played really well in for the Vancouver Canucks, sort of sustain an injury like that, especially with how much time he spent watching games from the press box in Toronto and the fact that this is a contract year for him. And, and the fact that, you know, as I wrote a, about a month ago, he sort of had 
enormous stakes on this season. Like the sort of uncertainty in his valuation, the difference between him being, you know, a $2 million player and being significantly more than that uh, is, is really fine. And, and a play like this, a sequence like this, an injury like this can really impact that for him. Uh, so you never like to see that. And then from Vancouver's side, you know, and I've got an article on theathletic.com right now. Uh, I encourage all of the listeners to go check it out about sort of Levo's absence being a significant hole for the team to fill. But, you know, Harmon wrote, uh, yesterday about Bo Horvat's sort of uh, two-way issues this season, but when you have Horvat with Levo, and that's like a 180-minute sample, uh, the Canucks' second line controls 54% of shot attempts. When you take Levo away from Horvat, that drops to 48%, and, and that's a massive gulf. So, for one thing, you know, that second line and sort of getting it back to being a high-end second line, like the equation of the Canucks having this really dynamic top six groups, crucial for their success going forward. Losing Levo uh, you know, sets that sort of goal back pretty significantly, I think. Yeah, but now they got Louis Erickson in, so oh. everything's to be okay, right? <laughs> well, it worked last time against Edmonton, right? Uh, Harm, I, I, somebody in the inbox, I mean, I said pivotal piece for the for the, uh, for the the Canucks right now is Josh Levo to lose a pivotal piece like that, and somebody kind of questioned it in the inbox, but like on this roster right now, he is a pivotal piece for the Canucks, whether you like it or not. Absolutely. He's been one of their most consistent secondary scorers at even strength at when you look at after the lotto line who's really produced he's right up there and beyond that as uh, Tom touched on his two-way impact and, and he really fits why he's so effective is he fits Travis Green's system he wants to play an up-tempo style hockey where uh, they're heavy and, and hard on the forecheck and what Levo does with his work along the boards how he hounds loose pucks he's he subtly pushes the pace of play forward and prevents the opposition from breaking out makes it a nightmare and so he creates that offensive zone time Time for a player like Bo Horvat, and Levo might not get plaudits for that, but that's something that Levo brings to brings to the table that doesn't show up in the stat sheet that someone like Jake Vertanen isn't capable of. So that's a subtlety, and you can see it in the underlying data. That's a big, big difference, and I suspect that we'll we'll see that difference manifest as as we watch Bo Horvat without Levo uh, moving forward. And one, can I jump in real yeah, quick too? Sure. Uh, sort of. It hasn't been talked about a lot, probably because Adam Gaudet's shot has Canucks fans so excited, but a sort of subtle thing that has helped the team tread water as a lot has gone against them over the past month has been the play of the second power play unit with oh, Levo yeah. with Levo on the ice yeah. over the past 18 games. The second unit scored nine goals. Like, they've outscored the first unit. And there's a lot of favorable bounces going in there. A lot of it can be attributed, in my opinion, to how dangerous, uh, you know, how lethal a weapon Adam Gaudet's become from that left circle. But moving Levo to playing his strong side on the right circle of that 1-3-1, uh, you know, I think that's activated and opened an awful lot and his playmaking out of that spot has been crucial uh, to that success so you know that's another sort of subtle area where you know I think the Canucks are going to really struggle to replace him like you go down the roster and who plays on the right circle of PP2 tonight you know I can't even figure it out it might be Troy Stetcher like it might end up being a defenseman mm. just because you know Louis I don't Erickson. think they're they, well <laughs> you know it might be Louis Erickson yeah. at the net front and Tanner Pearson on his uh, on his weak side right but uh, I mean 
it's just I don't expect that sort of power play unit to chug along at the clip that they have been over the past month and change. And we shouldn't underestimate the impact of having two shooting threats there because I know that Josh Levo's shooting percentage has been slightly depressed this year, but he came to Vancouver with a reputation as somebody with a phenomenal wrist shot, and I think he actually scored on his first shift with just an overpowering shot from, I think, about the halfway point through the offensive zone. So not only was he a competent playmaker in that role, but somebody that the defense had to respect. And we've seen in previous years what happens to the Canucks power play when they don't have to respect that shot, particularly with Alexander Edler at the point. I know I just gave him some some love in the manifesto, but obviously the Canucks, when they had him at that point, basically the box compressed to about the uh, the top of the faceoff circles, and it became a shooting gallery from the lowest percentile part of the offensive zone. And I think that's an underrated impact to losing Levo as well. I think that this injury, I mean, we talk about how he helps out Bo Horvat, but have you seen the splits for some of the, the players in the bottom six with Levo and away from him? They're staggering. So what, so what happens now when the lineup is completely healthy? Well, they're back to being a two-line team, if that. I mean, I know Harmon's got some of the numbers here for what Levo's done with the bottom six group. I mean, am I wrong, or is that a group that basically falls apart whenever he's on the bench? Yeah, and it's been masked a little bit by the fact that that third line has had some shooting luck. They're running on a really hot PDO um, at five at five on five. And an underrated aspect that I think a lot of people are, are missing is Antoine Roussel, who's usually a very strong 2A driver. He has not been that through his first... 8-10 to 10 games, and we expect that to some extent because that's a gruesome ACL injury that he's recovering from. A lot of guys around the league talk about how, how difficult it is to return and how, how it maybe takes you two or three months to get back on track. But his expected goals is around 40% right now or something, and, and that's a player who is supposed to, who typically can lift a player of Godet's caliber. So now you've got Roussel who's not really clicking right now. You've got Levo who's been a tremendous boost to the bottom six. He's out of the lineup. Now you You've got a bottom six where you might face some issues like they did last year. That bottom six was outscored more than any other in the NHL. And when you take away a couple, or in Levo's case, you take away his presence and, and Roussel isn't quite 100% yet, that's that's a significant blow to the club's depth. What about Sven Berchi? Could Sven Berchi? What about Sven Berchi? Could Sven Be- like could we just like start fresh with Sven Berchi? Perhaps you know Benning and and, and Berchi, and maybe he could come in and, and solve some of this. No, because part of the reason that Sven Berchi should be in this lineup is his priors with Bo Horvat. Like this is absurd. I don't know why we have to operate under the assumption that the team just totally has this down. Like they figured out that Sven Berchi was too soft, too brittle to play this year, and then also decided to hand twelve million to a guy who six months prior decided to open up about the fact that concussions made him fear for his life after hockey, right? Like the incongruity there is overwhelming. And no, the Canucks should not be off the hook for the Sven Berchi absence. Like they're gonna play Louis Erickson of one point alongside Bo Horvat tonight. That's preposterous. That is absurd. You're shooting yourself in the foot. Zach the McEwen's of, got more points than Louis Eric. You're shooting yourself in, in the foot for the sake of making a point. Yeah. To the same degree that they sent Berchi through waivers early to make a point to his camp that he doesn't have value. And look, I don't think that Berchi doesn't have value. I think that Berchi with this contract becomes an issue for teams that are up against it because of the depressed cap value that they got this offseason. It's, it's absurd. I refuse to accept that the Canucks don't, that the Canucks are a better team without him. Uh, there's no clash here, uh, I think, among the three of us. I think we all think that Sven Berchi could help this team. I think when you, <clears throat> excuse me, when you look at 
you know, I guess the one thing that uh, I suspect the Canucks will be looking at just a little bit is, you know, the fact of the matter is, is as much as the Comets have needed Sven Berchi and as much as he has elevated them to be something significantly more when he's been in the lineup, I think there's an argument to be made that their best forwards read Boucher. And, you know, I think from a Canucks perspective, they might look at that and say, you know, even there, you know, we, we're hoping for more. And, you know, has he done enough down there? Has he set himself apart enough from some of the guys down there uh, to force the issue? And, you know, when you're talking about forwards who are essentially like when the team is healthy, somewhere between 13, 14, 15 on the club's sort of preferred choices to line up or dress on any given game, the margins are so fine, right? Like, the margin between being 15th and 13th is one back check. It's one detail. It's your fitness level. It's how hard you're working in practice. Like, it's all those little things that go into it. And I suspect that, you know, on those margins, and especially when you look at that Dallas game and that one back check uh, right before he left the lineup, which, you know, for good to this point, you know, I think there's... Certainly, it's open an open question whether or not he's you know given them no excuses. That said, there's no question like he is on true talent, one of their eight to nine. Like he's a top, th- he should be a top nine player for this team based on 100%. true talent. And and I think there's no ignoring that. And especially with Levo being out two to three months as a result of this fractured kneecap, I suspect the results will force this team to confront that reality sooner than later. Everything you said about forwards 13 through 15 on the step chart, I don't necessarily think is untrue, but do you think that it, the team is applying that even handedly for everybody on this roster? Can, can you say with a straight face that Sven Berchi and Louis Erickson are getting treated the same way? No, I mean, obviously, when you bring up, when you bring it to Louis, I think that changes a whole variety of dynamics. Or, or even Zach McEwen, who, I mean, like, he's had some points, but the underlying data is pretty, pretty it, spotty. It, it is pretty spotty, but if you look at the underlying data at the AHL level, uh, you know, being tracked by our friend Cody, uh, you'll see that Zach McEwen's numbers look pretty good, especially considering his relatively high usage. And there's also the additional versatility that, you know, you're going to... Or or this coaching staff would feel more comfortable slotting a player like McEwen into the lineup should there be a fourth line injury. Uh, in a way, they're just not going to do with Sven Berchi, right or wrong. Harm, why are they dragging around Louis Erickson? Why, why do they continue to? Is it the fact that it just it, could it be ownership saying no, we're we're not going to swallow this? Because well, they're already swallowing it, though. That's what I don't get. Well, I can't imagine that there's much of an incentive right now for the Canucks. I mean, that contract right now is. Unmovable. Yeah. So the way it's structured right now, I mean, I don't really see a problem with him for most of the season just kind of sitting in the press box. And that's that's the reality of the, of the situation right now. When you look at when there are possible forward injuries, to be fair to Erickson, he's not hurting the team. He's got next to no value offensively, but when he's been on the ice, the Canucks haven't been dominated. They haven't been hemmed in, so he's a fine fourth line option. To me, of course, it's absurd that he's playing with Bo Horvat, but I don't see his the fact that he's on an NHL roster as, as a big deal, because I don't think you, you're going to gain much from sending him down to Utica. Um, his contract is just 
at this it point. It is know. what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and when I look around at that, that team, I mean, you see a guy like, you know, Sven Berici down there, and I see a guy like Louis Erickson up here. I just go, why is this happening right now? But uh, you make some good points there. The Canucks at the halfway point, as we mentioned, uh, 38 points right now. So they're two points ahead of where they were. Well, sorry, not at the halfway point, at the 36 game point here. Um, does this surprise any of you guys that they are basically almost the same team as they were last year? I think the. I don't think they are the same team as they were last year. I think the improvements have been appreciable. I think the... there's so a ver- the league maybe that's a little different this year as well? A little I, more spread out? I just think the results are... Like, the sample is still too small even at half a season for them to... And, and their improvement is marginal enough that it hasn't necessarily shown up in the standings the way it will by the end of the season. Like, I don't think we're going to end the year and they'll be only four points or, or three points better than they were last season. I, th- I think the jump will be bigger than that. I don't know that it'll be big enough for them to make the playoffs, but I think when you look at especially this team's overall solidity, and maybe that's the wrong word because their improvements are mostly on the offensive side of the rink, but when you look at this team's improved ability to control play 5-on-5, five five, I actually think they've taken a bigger step than the fact that they're only two points ahead of last season's pace would indicate. I agree. I, I think from one thing that I uh, I noticed, and I think a lot of people that all oh, a thing that people may not have realized was last year's team really outperformed their true talent level. If you look at their underlings, as you mentioned, they were bottom five in the league in controlling shot attempts, scoring chances, expected goals. This was a team that was dominated on a night to night basis at even strength. Now you've got a club that can hold its own in all categories. And last season, what really elevated them to perhaps play beyond and and get more standings points than they perhaps deserved was outstanding goaltending by Jacob Markstrom. And so I think that hid a lot of the team's defensive and, and, and even their offensive warts. And so right now you're seeing an improvement in their process, but it just hasn't translated um, into results. But that's a meaningful step forward in the grand scheme of things. If we're talking about the next two or three years, you need to take uh, this type of a step, uh, if not a bigger one, this year. I thought it was interesting. He's not here. He's like the only athletic Vancouver staffer who's not here at the moment. But Izzy Fair had a nice series of tweets sort of recapping where the team has improved recently. And, you know, pointed out that the first line has taken a step in terms of their ability to control play. The second line is roughly the same, but the goal differential has not sort of shown up partly because of some rough puck luck and, and obviously as Harmon uh, wrote so sagely yesterday, Bo Horvat's two-way form is, you know, not ha- he, he hasn't had his best month in terms of his two-way impact. But actually the bottom six which was, you know, a, a wasteland I mean there's probably nicer things you could say but that's an accurate ter- statement anyway. I think um, there's a lot meaner things <laughs> there you could are, say absolutely. as well. <laughs> but which was wasteland last season has subtly improved a little bit, right? Like, it's gone from being sub-40% to being 45 And, I mean, that's not high-end or anything, but it's close enough to where it's, like, at a level where so long as you have a top six that's really going, that's really chewing up opponents, which the Canucks have had on and off this season, but maybe not consistently enough, especially in that second-line spot, it's not going to hurt you fatally anyway. All right. Well, on the other side, guys, we are going to touch on Jacob Markstrom. I also want to get, uh, especially Drancer's thoughts on this, on Tyler Myers so far this season. It's the rink-wide roundtable right here on TSN 1040. Keep it locked. I guess right now we should start the show. This is rink-wide on TSN 1040. Here's J.D. Burke and Andrew Watton. 
Okay, back inside the TSN 1040 studio. It's the rink-wide roundtable. It's the show that always scores. Andrew Wadden alongside all the boys. Well, not all the boys, but most of the guys uh, from The Athletic. J.D. Burke, of course. Thomas Drance. Harmon Dial. Uh, guys, uh, we've thrown out a whole bunch of analytical stats uh, there throughout the first segment. And Coach Kim, of course, uh, you know, of Canucks uh, Twitter fame, uh, she's tweeted at me, what does PDO mean? So I'll let one of you guys answer for her. Harmon, that is, that's your territory, my man. So that's basically the, it, it's essentially a measure of luck. So um, you have your on-ice shooting percentage. Um, so let's say, take Tyler Myers, for instance. Um, let's say the team's shooting 6% with him on the ice. You add that with the on-ice save percentage of your goalie. When Same thing when Myers is on the ice. So let's say the save percentage is 920 and they're shooting 6%, his PDO would be 98. Um, baseline, you'd expect over a large sample that all players end up around 100. So in that case, when Myers is at 98, there's an argument to be made of, well, the team's shooting at a really low percentage when he's on the ice. He's been pretty unlucky. That's not going to continue long term. And for instance, if a guy has, um, you know, like a 105 PDO and they're shooting a really high rate with him on the ice and he's putting up a ton of points, well, that high PDO is a sign that maybe that's not going to be sustainable long term. Yeah, it's a quick thing we can use to counter perception. So, for example, the Canucks defenseman who leads, who has the highest PDO at the moment, is Oscar Fantenberg, right? And everything you hear about Oscar Fantenberg is glowing at the moment. The active player with the lowest among Canucks blue liners is Myers, and you know the sort of whipping boy status that he's attained in the market over the past ten days would sort of speak to that to some extent. So, you know, it's sort of a quick check on your perception, your, your sort of lying eyes, as it were. And, you know, the thing, I guess, just the overarching thing to keep in mind is when, when we're citing these metrics, like the NHL, the quality of goaltending is so high yeah. that 95% of players over a like large sample of games have relatively fixed percentages. They're going to shoot between 7 and 8.5% because they are shooting on six foot seven behemoths with lightning quick glove hands. Like, it's so hard to score in the modern NHL. So because of this and the way that it kind of fits together with shot attempt differential and XG and some of these other numbers we're talking about is because only the truly gifted, only your Steven Stamkos's sort of drive shooting percentage in a meaningful way. And because percentages are fixed, the way to win sustainably in a league this tough is to out attempt and out shoot opponents. And so we're always looking for the players that do that consistently incredibly because as the sample expands you are essentially like weighting the dice um, and, and sort of giving your team the best chance of getting the next goal or outscoring opponents over a large sample as a result of their control over proceedings five on five. There you go coach Kim hope that uh, broke it down for you now let's get to Tyler Myers because I called him the new pizza man in town. <laughs> but I know, I know you guys you guys dig and, a lot deeper Tom's than I do really upset so, so tell, tell me why he's Travis not the, tell me why he's not working <laughs> for Panago or, or whatever. <laughs> well, look, uh, you know, as a as a Vancouverite born and bred who spent a lot of time outside the city, especially over the past four years, I actually missed Panago. <laughs> so, um, no, the uh, okay, <laughs> yeah, I like, uh, really? no, it's, it's yeah. decent. I don't it's rate decent. it that high. But yeah, fair enough. I'm a Panago guy. Yeah, okay. good. There we go. Harmon's always got my back. <laughs> you are. <sighs> I'm not mad. I'm disappointed. <laughs> the the Tyler Myers thing, real quick. 
you know, he's playing bona fide number one minutes for the Canucks at even strength. The only guy on the team with a higher share of shot attempts is Quinn Hughes. And, you know, we're, the production hasn't been there, but there hasn't been consistent power play opportunities. And his personal shooting percentage and on-ice shooting percentage is unsustainably low, especially for his career norms. You know, you put that together and that's the sort of player who I'll generally say is performing better than the sort of public understanding would suggest or, or the tone of the conversation around him. You know, I think he's played well. I think he's been an upgrade for this team along the blue line. And, you know, I think if there's sort of anything to sort of criticize there, it's maybe that, you know, his minutes burden in terms of the extent to which he is, you know, leading Canucks skaters at even strength, especially since Edler's been out, um, you know, he might be being overused and uh, and that might be sort of exposing some of his decision making in his own end. Uh, But, you know, like the Vegas game, I mean, there was a lot of criticism of him for the game tying goal the four on four sequence and you know he, he made a touch in the neutral zone that certainly wasn't helpful but you know you look at all the other breakdowns that occurred on the ice in that sequence it like certainly wasn't a Tyler Myers issue alone and on the game I thought he actually held the Fantenberg Myers pairing was clearly Vancouver's best on the night and you know I thought he had a strong game overall He's he continues to have a useful offensive impact not in terms of his production but in terms of what the team generates with him on the ice, you know, I, I guess I'm just kind of baffled by the extent to which the criticism is so loud and so you know voluminous at the moment in this market. Uh, you know, I think he's played well. But didn't we know that about Myers though? Is that we, you know the the more you play him, the more risk you have, and if you kind of and like let's be honest here, guys, a six million dollar contract as we progress through this is not going to look that bad in two years when things rise, right? So maybe that number and the term sort of scares people right now. They see a giveaway oh my god why are we spending this money on this big dude when you know hey let's just take a breath and, and realize that he's here for six years and he's going to be a useful player for the Canucks as they well move we can't evaluate players on the terms of their contract not not with That's, this team. I'm sorry. It's just not... Nick Louis Erickson? It's not going to do them justice. I mean, is, is, is Jay Beagle ever going to be a $3 million player? Has he ever been a $3 million player? Yeah. If the cap expands to $300 million per team, is he going to be a $3 million player? I mean, like... And you go up and down the roster. Brandon Sutter, 4.375. Is he ever going to live up to that deal? Foundational player. Is is Tyler Myers going to live up to his? No. I mean, at a certain point... I'm kidding, point, by the way, folks. I'm kidding. At a certain Wasn't point, you have to that. evaluate their play. I think that the time to, to give the contract its due was when it's signed. And I think that we all came out, except for uh, Tom here, and had some really reasoned... Mesur- oh, here we go. Here <laughs> we go. Criticism this, this of the Myers contract. What was I going to say? Chime in on a player for another team while I was... You know, announcing your silence like, was, come on. Deafening. <laughs> yeah. was deafening. My bad. My, no, I wasn't silent at all. I was just touting another right-handed defenseman in Anton Strahlman. And that one's working out <laughs> stellarly. No comment. Uh, so, no, I mean, like, uh, I, I think... It's not your issue anymore, to be honest <laughs> no, with you. I think Myers has actually played, like, a competent second-pair defenseman this season. And you yeah. look at his numbers, I, I cited them with Alexander Edler. If you can find a player who can control 58% of shot attempts in those minutes... I think we know who's driving that bus, and it's Alexander Edler, but it's not like Myers isn't out there on the ice right beside him, right? Yeah. And I think that there's somebody in the inbox who keeps yelling at me about his negative uh, one wins above replacement. Well, it's 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 the Mike and Langley, by the way, so we oh. appreciate the... Uh, Tip of the cap. Yeah, it's, it's uh, I, Something like war, it is 
by its nature descriptive. So Tom was going on about all of Meyer's poor shooting luck, his on-ice luck. That's going to be baked into his war, and he's going to suffer that bad luck in his wins above replacement. I think the so you're argu- saying it's a little flawed then? or Well, I'm saying that it has utility to describe a player's impact, to describe a player's value. But in the case of somebody like Myers, who's been critically unlucky at 5-on-5 five five in terms of the production that has occurred when he's on the ice, he's only in on 20% of those points, which yeah. is 20% at least below what it should be at for a defenseman. I like, he's going to suffer through that lens. I think if you want to use a wins above replacement look at a player like Tyler Myers, the more compelling argument against him are his priors. His priors where he is either break even or below one win above replacement. I think that is the more compelling argument, and that's the reason to have uh, to cast aspersions on this signing as we go into years two, three, four, and five. But I think the player that we've seen to this season, it would be unreasonable to hold uh, a sample of 38 games of poor shooting luck against him. Uh, Harm, how big is it going to be for the Canucks when Alex Edler comes back? He's a big boon, and, and you notice that when the when the Canucks have to defend the cycle is the biggest thing that, that I see because they become so passive, and what they have is an issue that you might be familiar familiar with as a as a Leafs fan is watching them defend the cycle. They're unable to. They're horrible in their own zone, right? right and they're unable ridiculous. to just they can't make the defensive stops. They can't break plays up. And what Alex Edler is so good at is his anticipation, whether it's off a rebound. He's among the league's best defensemen. If you look at some of the sport logic data and recovering rebounds, um, he is so good at when, when the puck is rimmed around, being being first to the puck, intercepting that. And the one interesting thing that I've always noticed in my tracking data is he has more zone exit attempts than any other defenseman on the team, and it's by a long shot. And what that suggests to me is he just finds ways to get the, get puck, the puck back yeah. in the defensive zone. Yeah, And that's a huge asset, and, and it's a big reason why the Canucks have been hemmed in defensively for so long. And that's when you talk about a team that there are so many issues with it over the last month, breaking the puck out. Um, it, it's all related. If, if you're spending so much time in your own zone and when you do finally get the puck back, you're dead tired, it's hard to make a play out of the zone with possession. Yeah. So that's an area where Meyer, or sorry, where Edler's going to come back into the lineup. He's going to be a huge help in the defensive zone. Here's something that I wanted to bring up. I mean, one thing that we've observed with this Canucks defense core, which has been relatively unchanged through five years. I mean, certainly, you put up a, a record like that, you expect a lot more turnover. Do you think that in the case of Alexander Edler, who's clearly lost a step, maybe two, somebody like Tyler Myers, who for all his flaws is an excellent skater, is kind of perfectly suited to that role alongside him? Do you think that they found like the perfect fit there? I like the fit, quite honestly. I think in an ideal world, I think Alex Edler's ideal partner would be like a right-handed Quinn Hughes as someone who can... But then you only have so many Quinn Hughes in the NHL. Are you allowed to clone under the current CBA? (laughs) There's only one way to find out. (laughs) But um, in all seriousness, I think you talk about Myers' skill set, and he does make loud mistakes defensively, and he is prone to the odd giveaway. But on the whole, he moves the puck out of the well, uh, out of his own zone, really well. A good skater. Yes, he can overhandle it sometimes, but he's got that composure where he can he can he has a good outlet pass, and and that's a big thing where Myers helps helps the team offensively get the puck out of their zone, and and when you're not having to defend so much, that's a huge help for Alex Edler, who his issues a lot of the time are when he's having to defend off the rush where he's lost that foot speed, and so that's where when where they get exposed. But if you have a 
player like Myers who can push the play into the offensive zone and they're not having to defend as much, then that's a huge help for a guy like Edler who is now a little bit more more refreshed. He's not having to log as heavy and difficult minutes. Sorry, we, uh, I just want to bring up one last thing about the defense core, which is, you know, Edler, they're has an uncertain timeline, but there was some hope he might return before Christmas. You know, Travis said today that he wouldn't play tonight against the Pittsburgh Penguins, but there's a chance he returns Monday and or immediately following the Christmas break. And considering Oscar Fantenberg's form, you know, and the fact that he led the all, all connect skaters in even strength minutes against Vegas, you know, I feel safe suggesting that Fantenberg's not going to be the choice to come out of the lineup when Edler comes in to replace him. And I think one thing to look at here is going to be what the Canucks decide to do regarding Fantenberg with Edler back. Because if Fantenberg say stays in the lineup and they move Jordy Ben over to the right side, does that mean Troy Stetcher comes out? And if Troy Stetcher comes out with, with what, to pivot back to what Harmon was talking about regarding Myers' mobility, you know, we've seen for example that Edler Tanev doesn't work quite the way it used to, partly because of their, you know, age curve and their sort of decreased mobility. We've seen that Tanev and Ben, for example, doesn't tend to work all that well because there's just not enough of that forward push, that sort of transporter impact, which which Quinn Hughes obviously has brought in spades to does, any pair of played on. to do with the fact that Ben is actually kind of better on the right side as a left shot? Well, I that's mean, what everyone out of Montreal says. That was Every feedback, single yeah. person I've spoken to out of Montreal has said the same thing. He's a much better player on the right side. But if you move Ben to the right side and play him with Fantenberg, do you have enough speed on that back end to sort of continue to generate what the Canucks have managed to generate this season? You know, color me skeptical, right? And, and I suspect the market will pan that decision, at least when we first get that run of sort of lines from a morning skate. Uh, but it'll be really interesting to see. And that's sort of something that I think is worth monitoring closely here over the next two weeks for Canucks fans. Troy Stetcher, is he going to be a Vancouver Canuck next year? Uh, I, I'm not betting on it. I don't see how it happens. I just don't. I don't see the road to him returning to this team for training camp. I mean, the Stetcher's such an interesting case because this is his first arbitration-eligible sort of run through RFA following this season, and we've seen that teams are skeptical about you know players who aren't key or like core pieces uh, even qualifying them when they're arbitration eligible because if they've for example logged a ton of minutes in their career or uh, you know in Stetcher's case even though he hasn't played a ton of minutes this year he's still got you know this resume which would make him a comparable for a lot of top four pieces and you know for a team like the Canucks I think it's difficult to sort of look at the idea of having a three million four million dollar bottom pair defenseman so you know I think with Stetcher it's going to be really interesting to see I think a lot of it will hinge on what they do with Chris Tanev uh, but you know there's a lot of balls in the air though it's definitely hard to see at this point. As, as Tom mentioned, I think a lot of it does hinge on what happens with Tanev, but I just see a lot of right-side depth moving forward. And, well, I, I perceive that the Canucks see it that way. If they don't see Troy Stetcher as a top-four piece and they see him as a bottom-pairing candidate, well, they're going to ask themselves, well, we have Jordy Ben who can play the right side. We have Brogan Rafferty, who's in the AHL, who's putting up a lot of points, who would be a much cheaper internal re replacement. And you And you sort of... You look at the Canucks' cap picture, they're going to need to shed some salary. And Stetcher's qualifying offer himself, itself is close to $2.5 It wouldn't surprise me if they did not qualify Troy Stetcher. 
Okay. I, well, I, hold hold on a second here because last year they let Ben Hutton. Well, they didn't qualify him, as we know. Right. So there's an asset gone. You just walked. You walked away from. They going to do that again with Troy Stetcher? I imagine they'll try and move him. Um, they, yeah, that's what that's, I'm saying. Like, that's trade what deadline. I was going yeah, to say. Like, like the time is now to yeah. inflate his value. I mean, unfortunately, the best we've seen of Troy Stetcher is in that top pairing role with Alexander Edler. I mean, of course, that is, then you have to ask the question, how much of that is Alexander Edler and how much of that is Stetcher? And I think that's sure. a worthwhile, fair question to ask. But I don't think they're going to get the opportunity to do that this season. And certainly the way that Travis Green has deployed Stetcher thus far in the year suggests that he's not comfortable with exploring that I just, option. I just don't think that he has much trade value, to be quite honest with you. I, yeah, I read an article about this. Him, though, right? and, uh, yeah, no, I'm just, I'm just putting that context out there where, like, I talked to one league source when I wrote an article about Stetcher and his arbitration case, he said you'd be lucky if you got a third round pick for Stetcher. I think, just not, I'd say giddy up if you could get if you get a fourth round pick. I mean, I agree. Better than him walking for nothing. I'm right? just well, putting that context out there where I think perhaps we in Vancouver, relative to how the league perceives him, we maybe overrate him in that sense. I think, I think that. To me, he's a number four or five defenseman. I don't think that, based off of his deployment, the Canucks necessarily see him that way. And so because of those reasons and because of his arbitration situation, because of those internal options, because of the uh, of the potential that Nikita Triamkin could return, return, I just don't... I'd be surprised if Stetcher came back next season. It's your favorite player right there, uh, JD. Well, we, we did have somebody in the, the text inbox here suggesting that we should explore whether the Canucks are going to bring Nikita Triamkin back. And Well, Rick Dollywell said there's there's talk between the two sides, that there's a very like, good chance uh, that he I, could. I'm just getting sepia-tone flashbacks of all the grenades that were launched off of his stick. I mean, like, it, look, it, it, it just, like, was it didn't work out. He wasn't good in his time with the Canucks, and nothing about his time in Russia since suggests that he's improved. All right, we got to take a break here, guys. On the other side, we'll put a bow on this, but I do want to talk about Jacob Markstrom because I think right now he's stating a case for himself to get a, a contract extension. And, you know, according to Rick Dollywall, there's been talks as well between the two sides. So I'll get your guys' opinion on the future of Jacob Markstrom. Rink wide roundtable right here. It's the show that always scores on TSN 1040. You've probably been buying your gas at the same gas station for some time now. But I'm asking you to try something different. Something that could save you time. For your next fill-up, head to a mobile station. You'll find them very conveniently located at your favorite grocery store. The one where you earn PC Optimum points. So, in just one trip, you can get high-quality gas and all your groceries. Mobile. Simple. Convenient. Worth the switch. Listening to Rink Wide on TSN 1040. Here's JD Burke and Andrew Watton. Yeah, welcome back to Rink Wide, the show that always scores. We're doing the Rink Wide end of the month roundtable. Oh, what are you doing on the 21st? You guys? No, we don't have a show on the 28th. So we're back in studio on January 4th, so this will be our merry ho-ho to all of the listeners, and we appreciate everybody that has chimed in today, especially in the inbox. Oh, Mike and Langley. You're on fire, buddy. Just, just continuing to get in the inbox there. He's a stats guy, though, so he loves the analytics. Oh. He wants to you know, get in with stats you guys. guys. Um, there is a question here from Minor Matt in Abbotsford, and I'll pose it to all of you. If the Canucks package Stetcher and Demko, what do you think the return could be like? 
the goalie market is so yeah. hard to figure out. So I, I, you know, it's hard to take a stab at. I think if Demko gets back, like if he gets back from this injury, stays healthy the rest of the year, and continues to play, uh, you know, posts an above average save percentage on the season. You know, I mean, I think that he would be sort of a, a piece we'd be talking about as maybe a second round pick. And then in terms of Stetcher, sort of being able to fetch that anyway in a trade. In terms of Stetcher adding to the return, I'm not sure that he would just because his overall contract status is pretty complicated. So you'd have to find a team that both needs a goalie and then is willing to invest the resources. And I don't just mean cash, but I also mean the like amount of time, effort, and thought you have to put into playing the Stetcher situation the right way and valuing those RFA rights, uh, arbitration-eligible RFA rights, um, the right way to sort of add to that. I, I just don't sort of see Stetcher as amplifying what you'd get for Demko alone, if that makes sense. But what if you're a team that both needs goaltending and solidify their, their third pair, and you treat Stetcher as a rental? Then it becomes like, more Toronto intriguing. might be in. I don't play the Holy Mackinac. Toronto might be in on that, too. I mean, right? Holy Mackinac! <laughs> if, if any team in the league is going to value a Troy Stetcher type above the rest of the pack, it probably is a Toronto Maple Leafs. Problem is they're capped but out. They, they're capped out, yeah. and they don't need... Well, they do need a backup goalie, actually. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we'll see tonight. They're playing Hutchison tonight. Don't play it. They're playing Hutchison tonight. They're playing the Red Wings, so they're hoping to get... Guys, they've got one point from their backup goaltender all season. Even one. I think it's even interesting because I was thinking about when I was doing a Jacob Markstrom piece, teams that could potentially be interested in Demko in Toronto stuck out to me because they've got Freddie Anderson. At some point, he's going to be a UFA. We all know how strapped the Leafs are cap-wise. If they acquire a goalie like Demko, they might roll the dice at some point and say, well, he's a guaranteed above average backup right now maybe if he develops the right way he's even a succession plan for Freddie Anderson oh yeah Freddie's UFA after next season Exactly. So that, that gives them perhaps a little bit more flexibility. So I could see why uh, a team like Toronto could be interested in Demko, particularly particularly given the fact that he's just a shade over a million dollars. So he's not going to break yeah. the bank cap-wise. Yeah. But Stetcher, I'm not sure I see that as a particular fit. Um, I mean, that. like, Freddie Anderson is such a perfect example of how completely unpredictable the goaltending market is. Like, the Toronto Maple Leafs got a top-five starter in the NHL for the last pick in the first round yeah. of that draft. Yeah. I mean, that... And that was a high price, right? Like, that and was, that was... Cons- yeah, I mean, exactly. I mean, what, other than Schneider and... Varlamov, right? That's like the highest pay, yeah, price right. paid for a, a a previous backup goaltender with promise uh, over the last, what, four or five years? So, you know, and then real quick, though, I do think that there's a lot of chatter about Demko's status because of Markstrom, because of those contract talks, because of the expansion draft. But I, I just look at this team and know that Jim Benning's always prioritized sort of that conveyor belt of goaltender development. I think that he comes from that Buffalo system that went like Hashik to Baran, you know, to Ryan Miller that like sort of, he really sort of, that's a core tenant of something that he's prioritized during his time here. And I think that they will, I suspect that they will probably find a way to re-sign or extend Jacob Markstrom, but I don't think that they'll do it with an eye toward, well, and that means we're trading Demko. I think that, I think they'll do everything in their power to try at least to keep both guys. Like I think trading Demko would be a last resort. And really, yeah. And that said, I think the only way that you sort of can get there is if you find a way to make it so that Markstrom's the guy exposed in the expansion draft, oh. and and you trust that 
va- uh, that an expansion outfit would be reluctant to take a 32-year-old goaltender with term, um, especially considering some of the other options that will be available to him, potentially structuring his contract so that you incentivize, make it toxic to some extent with a high signing bonus sure. uh, off the bat. Um, but, you know, that's sort of how I would expect this to play out, or at least that's what I suspect the Canucks would view as their ideal situation to pursue in, in laying this out. And obviously they'll have to change those plans depending on how all of this unfolds. Boys, this was fantastic. We're up against it now. Um, great stuff there with Markstrom at the end. I, I think a lot of people are wondering, you know, hey, what exactly are they going to do here? You got a 30 year old goaltender. You're going to extend them. Like, you got the Seattle expansion draft looming. What are you going to do with Demko? So, a lot of good stuff there, guys. I appreciate it again, everybody in the inbox. I appreciate you guys coming in today. That has been the rink-wide roundtable for the month of December. Uh, guys, this is it for us until after Christmas. We'll be back on January 4th. Happy holidays, everybody. Whatever you celebrate, uh, just do it safe, as Moj would say. Uh, for Jason Croker for producing the show, J.D. Burke, Andrew Wadden. That's another edition of Rinkwide. Have a great Saturday, and it's going to be a good one tonight between the Canucks and the Pens. Got a sizzling hot sports take? Let Sakaris some Price know each Tuesday during Hot Take Tuesday for your chance to win a $50 gift card to Subway Restaurants. Looking for the perfect holiday gift? Right now, get any 6-inch sub for free when you buy a $25 gift card at Subway. Visit your nearest Subway for details. Streaming Vancouver's best sports talk, TSN 1040, has never been easier. Just ask Alexa or Google Home to play TSN 1040 and get instantly connected to your favorite shows, live play-by-play, and the best sports insiders. Catch up on any show you missed on TSN 1040 by simply downloading the podcast at tsn1040.ca. All of the daily and weekly shows are available, plus play-by-play and more. TSN 1040 podcasts are powered by Metro Ford. Follow TSN 1040 on Instagram at tsn underscore 1040 for all the latest promotions, sports updates, and contests. That's tsn underscore 1040. For more info, check the hot wire at tsn1040.ca.